Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and I'm here today with my good friends Kirsten and Jimmy and we are recording from our home offices in various states of wearing pyjamas um, <laughs> um, in order to bring the podcast to you. We realise that this is a very weird time for the world and that you may be in need of some comfort and some excellent culture to get you through. Um, this particularly odd time where we're spending a lot more time at home or we ideally should be. So we're going to bring you a few recommendations of um, podcasts or um, TV shows or books to read when things are looking a little bit strange outside. So I might get started and I'm recommending a podcast, which I'm not sure if I've actually talked about on this podcast before. I don't think I have, but in any case, it's very good time to re-up that podcast. And that's You Must Remember This. You Must Remember This is a Hollywood history podcast. It's hosted by Karina Longworth, um, who is a Hollywood historian, and she brings you the secret and all forgotten lives um, from Hollywood's uh, tales from Hollywood's first century. So she tends to do um, stories, obviously, about, about Hollywood and cinema history, but she tends to structure them around different seasons. So the first thing um, that... <laughs> that she, um, one of the first kind of big seasons that she did was on Charles Manson and his interactions with Hollywood, which was very, very popular series. But she's recently done a kind of um, a different sort of series where she's bringing a bunch of freelancers in and that's called Make Me Over, which is um, Hollywood's intersection with the beauty industry. And that's been um, really interesting. I really liked the um, episode on um, Merle Oberon, who was a um, classic Hollywood film star and from the, say, 1930s and 1940s. And she's really interesting because she was um, an Anglo-Indian uh, actress, but she didn't want anyone to know because at that time um, she would have faced tremendous racism. Um, and so she told people she was Tasmanian. And she ended up being given an, an award by Tasmania and had to go there and sort of front up and say, well, actually, I've never been to Tasmania. <laughs> I'm actually from India. And so she was talking about um, Karina Longworth's episode of You Must Remember This was all about how um, the expectations of beauty sort of butted up against ethnicity. Really great episode, really interesting series, always fun to listen to. There's about, um, I don't know, 150 episodes in the in the um, archive, so that could keep you going for quite some time. Jimmy, I know that you have listened to You Must Remember This, so tell me, do you advocate for it? Uh, yes, I do, actually. I mean, I've, <clears throat> I found it really fascinating, but I must admit I've been really behind in my listening. So I think I stopped around about the Charles Manson series that you were talking about there. Uh, I really love all that historical stuff, but then I'm a little bit of a, a film nut anyway, so I love anything related to film and the golden age of Hollywood. So How many, all that stuff is... how many DVDs do you have? <laughs> Must we go into my sordid history here? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> roughly about 7,000. Wow. So, yeah, I've got quite a lengthy collection, shall we say, uh, and I love a lot of those classic films. And, in fact, you know, Steph and I, as most uh, listeners will know, have, done, have started a series on noir films. Yes. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's right up my alley. I really like some of the earlier stuff. Um, mm. I'm not as into the, the, uh, extended series that she's doing at the moment. I mean, I know you're really fond of that, but I think it's mainly just my attention span at the moment. Uh, it's just sort of sitting through these long series sometimes, 
Uh, I just don't have the time for it. So I, I like these little short burst of things. Um, but, but the movie over series kind of combines that because they're all discrete stories. So even though they're, they're linked by a theme, it's just like an overarching theme. It's not really a long story. Yeah, I think what I was talking about was mainly just the Charles Manson one, which was a, a longer yeah, yeah. story. Yeah, um, I really love the whole Star Wars thing she did, which is you know, yeah. the few feuds in Hollywood. Uh, you know, the most famous one, which most people know is Be- uh, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Um, but there were a lot there that um, I didn't even think about. So I really liked um, those sort of stories. And I think I'm a little bit more of a gossip back. I, I love the gossipy stuff that she talks about. Have you um, listened which, to the one that she did about Hollywood Babylon? No. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did start that one. Yeah, um, the one where she's basically just trying to um, demystify some of those myths. Um, that yeah, so Hollywood Babylon around. is this gossip book which was written in, I think, the 60s, 70s, something like that. And um, she basically goes through and fact checks as much as possible the gossip in it. And most of it is just made up. But some of it has a sort of grain of truth to it. But in any case, it's fun to hear the gossip, even if you later hear that it might not be true. Yeah. And so that stuff I like. I, I must admit, I do like the whole scandalous stuff. In, in <laughs> what I think, you know, a, a little bit, especially, you know, if you had a hard day or you know, had a really long day, you, you don't really want anything overly intellectual. You just want, you know, a nice little bit of gossip. It's fantastic. And you sit here, listen to these salacious stories and it's, you know, titillating and fun. So that part I like, but she also adds, um, I will give it to her, uh, this uh, really nice academic approach to it. So even though it is gossipy and fun, there is um, a seriousness to it, which I really enjoyed as well. So it's not completely, you know, it's not like, I don't know, trashy stuff. Um, Mm. It's trashy stuff, but made with class, shall I say. (laughs) All right. So you must remember this, the podcast, that's our first recommendation. Jimmy, I'm going to hand over to you. What's your first recommendation? Okay, so speaking of trashy and salacious, uh, my one is a podcast series. Uh, It's actually not trashy and salacious. It just sounds like it is. Uh, It's one that just came out fairly recently. It's called Dying for Sex. Uh, And it is a little bit of a pun, uh, which I do enjoy a good pun. So uh, it is about a woman who goes on this sexcapade. Uh, but the difference is that she was diagnosed with uh, stage four cancer. So she's terminal, she's dying. Uh, And she just decided... um, yeah, for whatever reason, mainly because she was having a really unusual effect um, uh, with the medication. So the medication was supposed to curb her libido and it did the complete opposite. She said she was basically feeling, you know, randy all the time. So she decides to go on this sex capade and she was telling her best friend all these stories and her best friend actually is the host of the podcast. And she thought, you know, it'd be a great idea to just get you in and talk about these stories because they're really interesting and they're really funny. Uh, and so that's the premise behind it. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, yeah. So in case you haven't noticed already, it should be a, um, a rated, uh, podcast. So I wouldn't let young children listen to it. She does get in some very, very gory details, gory in the best possible sense of the word. Uh, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's very funny. Um, I love the frank discussion about sex. You know, I'm, I'm not a prude at all. And I just enjoy like, I mean, my favorite show growing up uh, as a you know, young 10 year old was uh, Golden Girls. And anybody who's seen the Golden Girls know how you know, dirty and you know, raunchy that show really is. So I love all that talk. I love, you know, 
topics that are taboo. So she just breaks all the topics and it's really, really fantastic. But the other side of it, which you can probably guess already from just um, that description is that it is also quite sad as well, because, you know, it is about a woman who's uh, encountering her mortality and she decides to approach it by basically trying to recapture whatever she can of her humanity. And for her, it was basically to, to control her own body again. She felt that the cancer had robbed her of the right to her body. And sex was basically her way of saying, you know what, I'm going to take that back. Uh, and I'm going to be you know, completely empowered by it because this is something I can do. And this is something I choose to do with my body. Uh, and it's just, it, it's a lot of fun. But as the episode progresses, it does get gradually sadder and sadder and sadder. And for me, it's one of the best podcasts I've listened to so far. I was completely hooked. And everybody I've recommended to listen to it, and I don't recommend any prudes <laughs> to listen to it, have loved it. So if you like a little bit of, you know, dirty talk, but also quite moving and uh, quite a humanist piece, um, that's my recommendation. That sounds really sad to me, Jimmy. <laughs> it is. It's sad, but it's surprisingly funny. Like it's ludicrously funny. I mean, there were, there were sections where I actually had to pause and just laugh for, you know, nonstop for about five minutes. I think Kirsten would be a complete mess. She'd be just giggling, you know, from... <laughs> here to eternity, you know, because once those, you know, Kirsten, once she gets the giggles, that's it. You can't stop. <laughs> it does sound like something that might be rather pertinent to the times we're going through right now, which can feel crushingly fated um, and melancholy, but it's important, I think, to have, you know, the fun and the laughter amongst all of that. So it sounds really cool. Yeah. I mean, that's what I love about it. I mean, I, I don't like to take things too seriously. I think, you know, when things become too serious, we kind of lose a bit of that joy of living. And so for me, this show was just right up my alley because it's about a woman who's facing the worst possible thing you can face and just still being able to laugh about it. You know, and they have a lot of laughs. You know, like I love the friendship between the, these two women. I think it's an amazing friendship. And the fact that they can laugh uh, and cry, you know, simultaneously, you know, so there are moments where they, they do cry throughout, as you can imagine. But yeah, so it is sad, but it's also really, really funny. Like I can't stress the funny part. It's just, it's a really, really funny thing. But yeah, if, if you're one of those who do cry quite easily, I would probably give a little bit of a warning to say, yeah, it does get quite sad um, as it progresses. Fantastic, Jimmy. That's great. Um, I may listen to that, but I may be too sad. Yeah. Well, Listen to the first episode. Uh, if you listen to the first episode, you'll get a clear tone of where it's actually yeah. going. Um, it does get sadder after that, but I think you'll get a sense of what the entire show okay. is all about. Like, you know, the, the way I've recommended does sound a little bit sleazy, but I, I don't intend for it to be that way. It's just, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. All right. So Kirsten, what is your first recommendation? Um, for me, I during times like this, when there's um, a lot of anxiety around, a lot of uncertainty, my go-to is usually um, either stuff I've already read or seen, so old favourites, um, or particular genres that feel um, cosy in a way. Um, and so one of the main things that I've been turning to lately, because I find I don't have the, the brain sort of bandwidth at the moment for much that feels new or rigorous or particularly academic, um, in some ways I've stayed away from a lot of texts that are to do with my research in the 19th century. I just don't seem to be able to go there at the moment. Um, so what I have been doing is reading a lot of cosy crime novels. Um, so crime might sound a bit counterintuitive at a time like this as well, but I find that um, the approach that a lot of these books take where it's about the detection process and it's about reinstating that order in the universe 
um, and a lot of the detail about the houses they walk in or the landscapes or the social elements of characters. There's so much um, luscious detail to sink your teeth into and feel like you're part of that world. And for me at the moment, if I feel like I'm part of that world, it helps me just forget for a minute that I'm part of this world with a pandemic going on. Um, so Agatha Christie is obviously, um, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy's research is on Agatha Christie, so I'm not sure if you're reading much Agatha Christie at the moment, um, but I have mm -hmm. been, and also P.D. James, um, a lot of the Adam Dalglish um, novels, because there are just so many of them as well, and I like that. I like that you can pursue one after the other if you really want and really immerse yourself in this completely developed other world. So I think they're... They're my main go-tos. My mum's actually just given me a couple that she's read by um, Jane Harper. So that's Australian crime, um, you know, set in the outback. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into those as well. Because it's a familiar genre. Yeah, Jane Harper is really fun. Um, I understand that impulse towards um, cosy crime and you've reminded me that I have a crime novel set down in Hobart um, where the main character owns a bakery. So that sounds... <laughs> sufficiently cozy yeah. <laughs> so I might have to dig that out of my piles of books that are everywhere in my house and and invest a bit of time in that because that sounds exactly what I need right now yeah I mean I think crime fiction is one of those even if you do uh, do a lot of work in it like like I have done um, it's one of those that you can actually turn to even um, if you don't want anything particularly I don't know heavy it's it is a coat I think describing it as cozy is actually a really good way to describe it because it's it's comforting you know something you can turn to and you know you're perfectly right it does re-establish order uh, and I think that's what people love about crime fiction uh, especially kind of the golden age crime fiction like Agatha Christie and you know Petey James they always end with a re-establishment of order so you feel a sense that the world is right again and there's something comforting knowing that you know Miss Marple exists in, in that thing, you know there's something comforting about all that i've actually just picked up um a series which i'm kind of keen to try um it's from a publisher whose name completely escapes me now something like uh albus or alton or Al altus or something like that and it's a series of lost crime fiction novels of, uh, during the golden age period oh wow yeah and they're really really interesting okay. yeah so the first one i forgot the title of it uh, I'll, I'll dig it up eventually uh but it's about a guy who, I don't know why death is this common theme that's coming through at the moment, but it's about a guy who's dying uh, and he's decided to um, commit a crime just because, you know, to rid the world of somebody really loathsome uh, and also, you know, do something good for humanity. And he does it, but then to his horror, somebody else gets accused for that crime. And so... <gasps> So the entire book is him trying to prove to your authority that he is actually the criminal, not the person they believe is the criminal. <laughs> so I thought, oh, that sounds like something interesting and fun to, to read. So I picked up, and that's an entire series too, so I'm, I'm keen to uh, read that one. Mm, that sounds really cool. A bit of a twist on the usual format. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of lost works, uh, and so I really love publishers like that who are rediscovering these lost, you know, uh, literary works for us to consume because you know um, th there's so many out there that you know, we haven't encountered yet. All right, so that's one vote for um, one more vote for crime. I think we all can we all concur on that. So that brings it back to me, and my um, next pick is along the lines of what Kirsten had to say about wanting familiarity and comfort. Um, I have um, I would say degenerated, but that sounds negative. I have regressed back into my childhood self and I am rereading the entire Anna Green Gables series. <laughs> um, 
I used to do this. Those were my, my absolute, the most important books to me as a child. Um, I used to read all of them. And I'm not just talking Anne of Green Gables. I'm talking the Emily books, all of Ellen Montgomery's books, the deep cuts for the, for the Uber fan. Um, I used to do this about once every two years. When I was a kid, I used to read them once a year, but I used to do it about once every two years as a sort of older kid. But I haven't re read them for about 10 years. And it is so comforting to go back to them because I know the books so well. Nothing is surprising, but it's all just delightful. It's like going and popping by some old friends that you haven't seen for a long time. And in this time where we can't actually see anybody, <laughs> it is nice to have that sense of community, even if it's a sense of community with fictional people. Um, my favourites aren't actually the Anne books. My favourites are the Emily books, the Emily of New Moon books. So there's Emily of New Moon, Emily Climbs and Emily's Quest. Um, though she's my favourite heroine. I think she's wonderful. I'm um, not sure how I'm going to cope with Rilla of Ingleside. So Rilla of Ingleside is the last book in the Anne series and it's set during World War I and so it's a bit... Um, a bit sadder than most Anne books. And so it's, you know, obviously Anne's family, Rilla is her daughter. It's Anne's family as they go through World War One, And, um, yeah, not looking forward to that one in particular, although it is one of my favourites just because I'm a delicate flower at the moment. <laughs> but I have to say, going back and rereading a childhood favourite is extremely comforting right now. I'm not, in, not putting any pressure on myself to read... Um, virtuous or worthy books or anything related to my research like Kirsten. I'm just allowing myself to recapture that sense of excitement and wonder that you had as a child when you were reading and just go back and, and as I said, visit these characters that you, you know so well, you know. When I think about, um, when I think about things like um, the Anne books and the Emily books, they, they do really feel like my friends. And so that's nice. Yeah, I mean, I think we did a uh, podcast episode of uh, on Anne of Green Gables, in particular mm -hmm. with the um, Netflix adaptation of it. Uh, and so I love Anne of Green Gables. Um, as those who've listened to that episode knows, it's um, one of my favourite, um, not the Netflix series, but uh, the original, um, oh, what was he called? So, something Sullivan. Sullivan, yeah. Yeah, the Sullivan production. Larry Kindred Spirit, Jimmy. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I think they're, they're a wonderful series to... Um, to, to revisit. I didn't watch the last one, the one that you're talking about, the other one set in the war. I know that they also did uh, an adaptation of that as well. Uh, no, they did an adaptation of, of they, they did a, a, the third episode was set during the war, but they made, they changed the story entirely. So instead of in the books, it's Anne's daughter. It's focalized by Anne's daughter and it's about, and Anne's in it, but she's an older lady in the adaptation. She's a young woman. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Gilbert goes to war, whereas it's it's her sons that go to war in the books. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there is something kind of sad about that. I remember there's a, a childhood. It was a Chinese series that I used to love watching, and I hated watching the second um, story in that arc because my favorite couple were in the first story, and in the second story they had aged. <laughs> they were old, and they went. They were insignificant to the story. I was like, oh, but I want to know more about them. I don't want to know. You know, these new characters are interesting. Sorry. Jimmy's ageist. <laughs> I am, I am. That's how I feel about the um, the later Chronicles of Narnia books when the like Peter and Susan start getting too old to go in and I'm like, let them in. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gang the last Narnia book where she, where she can't go to Narnia when she dies because she wears lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> that 
That always upset me immensely. I skip that book when I um when I go back and reread them. I always skip the last one because it's just too disturbing. Well, it took me actually um, about two hundred pages into Lord of the Rings before I was finally able to give it a chance because I read The Hobbit first and I loved Bilbo so much that I thought, no, I don't want Frodo. I want Bilbo back. So you know, I think we do get attached to certain characters. I couldn't read The Lord of the Rings because I couldn't get past the Tom Bombadil bits. Oh, I love Tom Bombadil. How could you? <laughs> That's my favorite. I mean. Stop. Stop singing. Oh, I've gone on and on about Tom Bombadil to anybody who would listen because I, I, I love that character. It's, it's but such why? A, why? Because he's such a unknown character. He's such a mysterious character. You know, he's incredibly powerful, but nobody knows the extent of his power. Nobody knows the origin of his power. Nobody knows why he does what he does. Uh, and Tolkien himself has uh, admitted that uh, it's good for him to not know something about at least one character one thing in his world and Tom Bombadil was that one thing that he just doesn't know about he's a mystery and I like that you know I like things that leave it up to the readers to then try to flesh out themselves and so for me Tom Bombadil was the ultimate figure for you to yeah see what you will because you know you think about the Lord of the Rings the entire story is about people uh not being able to control this one ring that's so powerful and blah 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 and then Tom Bombadil takes it and puts it in his finger goes yeah what about it? Hmm? And you're kind of like, oh, you know, what was that? And he's the only pe- uh, person to be able to do that. So he was a fantastic character for me. So I was really deeply disappointed in the film adaptation when he didn't appear at all. Um, very, very bitterly disappointed, I have to say. But that's because he's so boring. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> How about you? Well, look, the, I have to admit, I was perhaps 12 when I read them. So maybe with the experience of many, many years, <laughs> I may change my view. Well, I was 12 when I, when I read it as well. So, <laughs> so sorry, no, I can't help you out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was trying to be mature. I know, I know. Um, all right, so I suppose it's, it's, it's my it's turn okay. then. Yeah. Um, I am going to take a little bit of a detour because originally I was going to talk about uh, the Audible um, version of Frankenstein that's been read by Dan Stevens, which I do think it's a fantastic audiobook. Uh, and those and Audible are actually offering it for, uh, free for everyone at the moment, so you can actually listen to it if you wanted to. But uh, because everybody's talking about things that they were revisiting in their childhood, I thought, well, there's a series that I actually really love. It's not from my childhood, but it's from a format that I used to love watching, which is anime. So, um, yeah, in case you can't tell, I'm a complete geek. I love everything geekish at all, including anime. Uh, and there's really, one- Jimmy, I never, I never <laughs> noticed. Sorry. I know, I know. She's interrupting me here. How rude. Um, so uh, there's a lot of wonderful anime series, as all anime fans can attest to, but there is a wonderful one at the moment uh, on Netflix called The Seven Deadly Sins. Um, and I watched the first series and absolutely loved it. Uh, and I was a little bit trepidatious about the second series because it took them about two years to finally come out with the second series. And I thought, oh, the first series is so good. I hope they don't mess it up. And to my delight, they didn't. It was even better in the first series, kind of like uh, Fleabag in that way. You know, it was very concerned uh, after the first series of Fleabag, the second series wouldn't live up to it, but it was really, really good. So the premise behind Seven Deadly Sins is it's uh, it's fantasy series. So it's set during a kind of faux medieval world uh, where uh, these knights exist uh, and they each embody a deadly sin. So the seven deadly sins uh, as such, but it's a bit of a twist on the concept of sin because the sins in this world are seen as good things. They're seen as heroes of this particular world. So it's looking at, you know, how could a sin like 
pride, for example, be seen in a good way? How could a sin like lust, you know, be seen in, in a good way? Uh, and in the second series, which is what became so brilliant, was that uh, their enemies were all embodiments of the Ten Commandments. So the, the, the villains, I suppose, were actually obeying the, the rules of the Ten Commandments. So it's a complete flip on the whole Bible binary um, itself. So I really loved it. Um, I can't go into too many details about it because there's a lot of spoilers. So I just won't go into a lot of those spoilers. But if you love fantasy, if you love things that um, are really clever, but also a lot of fun, um, the main guy uh, who's the embodiment of um, Wrath, I think it was, is very pervy, um, but very funny at the same time. <laughs> so there seems to be a... a <laughs> a uh, continuity here. <laughs> yeah, like, we, we have just heard all about how much you love a good pervy. I know, I know. It's kind of, <laughs> it makes me sound so bad. <laughs> but look, it's, it's a really, really fun series and it's, um, it's, it's very well done. It's very well written. Uh, the characters are uh, fully fleshed. It hasn't finished yet, so don't expect it to uh, be resolved by the end of the second series. It's, it's still ongoing. Uh, and the reason it's ongoing, and I think what they're doing really well, is that a lot of anime tends to be based on manga. Uh, and this manga is an ongoing series. So what they're doing is they're waiting for the manga to catch up uh, and finish the next series before they do the next series, which is fantastic. Because uh, historically, animes that have just gone ahead of the manga have always stuffed it up to some degree because they don't quite see the, the author's full vision. So one of those interesting examples is something like Full Metal Alchemist. You know, the first one got halfway through and it was fantastic and then it didn't know where to go after that because the manga had was still going so they just sort of made up the rest of the story with the author's permission and it was an interesting story but then those who watch the reboot um uh full metal alchemist brotherhood will see that the full author's vision was so much more epic and spectacular and cohesive you know storylines that appear in the first episode are drawn back in towards the end again so it was just really really fantastic to see that uh, and i think this series will go down that direction too so that's my big recommendation it sounds really cool even just the premise yeah um, i agree really yeah, I mean, well that's why i thought you know well kirsten being the, the fantasy queen uh, <laughs> would be right into it uh i do have a little bit of a bugbear which is that i don't approve of dubbing i think uh shows should be watched into original language so mm. i always watch it in you know with subtitles on um but i i I um I think that's true as well. There's something that's lost with dubbing, and there's it never quite matches up perfectly. So that you're you've got this kind of cognitive dissonance going on where you're like trying to follow the the visual narrative, and then mm. but your brain's going okay, but this part doesn't match up, so you you can't quite join the two. Yeah, yeah. it's just so weird. It's it never is right. Yeah, and and I mean dubbing makes sense for animated things because they can make the the mouth movement match, so you don't have that weird thing in film where you know, the mouth is doing one thing but the voice is doing another. Um, they can actually synchronize it that way, but you still lose that. Um, it's almost like a cultural artifact, I think. You know, um, I find that the English dubbing, I always cringe uh, yeah. when some of the, when they do some of those dramatic things. So I think, oh, it just you know, it it doesn't feel authentic to me. It doesn't feel right. Whereas when I listen to it into original language, I'm like, yeah, that's that's the way it should sound. And I'm really, you know, caught up in that world. Yeah. So Kirsten, it's your turn. Well, speaking of um, going back to familiar favourites, um, this isn't 
well, I, there's no need for me to recommend this. I think um, I was just going to say that I think a lot of people will be turning back to Harry Potter these days mm-hmm. um, and rereading those. They tend to be the go-to rereads for a lot of people, regardless of situation. So I imagine they're getting a bit of a workout now. Um, so it's a good time to remind everyone that we did record a podcast on Harry Potter as well. So that might be a nice little, um, you know, follow-up listen. Um, but for for me... Um, I am re-watching a lot of um, familiar stuff that I either grew up with. So, um, Steph, you've also been re-watching Buffy. So we've both been doing a big Buffy binge. Oh, my next recommendation. Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also, one of my go-tos is also Charmed. I often... um, We'll just rewatch that at different points. Um, you know, usually when I've got something else to do at the same time. So I might be, I don't know, like a few years ago, I decided to teach myself how to crochet. So I would sit in front of the TV with familiar shows playing. So I don't have to watch every scene because I already know what's happening. And I would pick up this new skill at the same time. So I like shows that are familiar enough that um, they don't require a lot of concentration to find out what's happening next. Um, so, you know, Buffy and Charmed, um, Once Upon a Time is another one of my, I don't want to say guilty pleasures because I think it's really clever um, and it's beautifully done, um, but I, that's a real comfort for me. And I've also, my most recent rewatch, um, I've just finished The Originals, which is a spin-off from The Vampire Diaries, and for some reason decided to start rewatching The Vampire Diaries. <laughs> I may stop after three seasons. I think three seasons tends to be the limit for most series. And after that point, they kind of drop off and don't know where they're going or what they're doing. So I may just sort of move on. I don't know. I also turn a lot to Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. <laughs> That's, you know, I've got the DVDs of those. And so they get a, a fair bit of rewatching. And of course, um, any Jane Austen adaptation, but particularly... Um, the BBC Pride and Prejudice, so the 1995 one, or um, BBC Emma. And I haven't seen the new film yet. Yes. So, Apparently yeah. it's, been, it's, um, it's coming out soon. Um, was I talking about this with you yesterday? Um, yeah, it's coming out soon. Universal are um, releasing it now because it's just had to sort of go off in the cinemas because all the cinemas shut. Um, so it's going to be available on like, Google Play, YouTube, etc. very soon. So we can watch it that way. <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I think oh, it's going to be, I, I think any adaptation would have a lot of work to do um, for me to beat the Romola Garai one. Yeah, that is really good. It's so good. I just think it's so, it's cute and, and it's whimsical, but it's serious. I just think it strikes a nice balance. Mm. But I have heard um, that the film, the recent film adaptation, at least, um, picks up on on the witty sort of tone or the wryness, I think, of Jane Austen. But without having seen it, I don't know. So I really am looking forward to that. And perhaps perhaps we can do a podcast on the Jane Austen yeah. adaptations afterwards. <laughs> well, look, I don't need any excuse to rewatch the 1995 Pride and Prejudice, which is the only true Pride and Prejudice, as we it's know. It's the only one worth recognising. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, no other one exists. <laughs> And Colin Firth, I suppose, is the only Mr. Darcy. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> there, is no other, there is no other opinion on this. I'm sorry. Well, I do like as a alternative adaptation, um, Bridget Jones's Diary. 
as an oh yes Pride and Prejudice you know and of course Colin Firth is there too. I rewatched that last year and I found it incredibly irritating I used to love it but I just found like what the entire story or just certain characters no the the what I found mostly really really annoying is um the emphasis on how fat she is <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot that's really dated. It's very dated. Yeah. I love Hugh Grant in it. I think he is just the best bad guy ever. Um, but there is so much that's so dated and it's it's the fat jokes. Like, she's not fat. <laughs> and a lot of the plot turns on, you know, how fat she is. And it's just absurd. And, yeah, it's it's... Quite, it's, it is quite dated now, but it, it's still fun. I mean, I wouldn't say no to it at the moment, but it does. It did irritate me a, a lot more than I remembered. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I I did rewatch it recently, and I didn't. I still <laughs> <laughs> I still thought it was funny and you know fun and, funny. and um, I I think I just like. I mean, I I'm a little bit of a sucker for you know romantic comedies, so uh, I like films that uh, make you laugh and leave you feeling good afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think those films are quite important uh, at the moment too, to you know, just yeah, uh, put people's you know, mood back in a, in a good frame of mind. So mm-hmm. for me, uh, Bridget Jones's Diary was one of those. It was a bit of a guilty pleasure because I have to admit, uh, I went and watched it about 10 times at the cinemas when it first came out. Oh my God. Um, because, yeah, I, went, I went with a friend and she was also obsessed with it. Uh, and we always go to the cinemas with the intention to go see something else and then somehow end up buying tickets to go see Bridget Jones again. So, <laughs> uh, so it does remind me of my uni days and remind me of, of that friend in particular. So, you know, it has a, a special place in my heart for, uh, as a result of that. Well, if we're asking um, adaptations, we can't go past Clueless either as a oh, adaptation of Emma. Yes. And I, I, it's just the kind of delightful thing you need right now, I reckon. Yeah. And I think the genius of Clueless, though, is that um, it, it does age well because it's so aware of the time period that it's in oh, that yeah. Yeah, it, it wants to force itself into that time period and say, you know, I'm not going to make myself universal or anything like that. I am a product of the nineties. So yeah. if you grew up in the nineties. Yeah. You would completely relate to it. You know, so <laughs> the other day I, I bought a pair of jeans um, and I, I bought it online. You should never buy things online because it, you, know, you never know how it fits. Uh, and it was at the moment you can <laughs> yeah at the moment you can but uh it was too big and i was wearing it and it started to slide down and i keep hiking it up <laughs> and there was a moment where i was thinking one of those about, dudes aren't you yeah i was just thinking about that scene from clueless and in particular memories of the 90s where you know uh boys used to wear those big <laughs> remember those keppers uh, yeah. halfway down their bum you know so you can see their underwear and everything like that and i was there going oh dear god you know, I never wore this in the 90s and here I am stuck with these these jeans. I feel as if I'm back in the 90s again. I was going to say, you're revisiting your glory days, but <laughs> No, I was never a baggy jeans, you know, underwear showing <laughs> person. Um, but yeah, this did remind me of that strange yeah, moment of fashion blip in history, shall we say. <laughs> I think one of the things about Clueless that makes it so resilient um, to being dated and aged was that it's almost a fantasy version of the 90s. Like it's such a privileged little little bubble Um, and it's a caricature of contemporary, you know, at the time, contemporary styles and and things. So it's immediately kind of already taken out of its moment and preserving this perfect little representation of what it wants the 90s to look like through Cher's eyes, (laughs) basically. Um, I think that, makes it almost yeah a bit um impervious to the kind of normal 
yeah, datedness that a lot of other films are susceptible to. And it's infinitely quotable. You know, I, I do still every now and then walk around and go, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so it is one of those things that I think, you know, uh, if a film is quotable, it tends to date fairly well, I think. Yeah. I was going to suggest Buffy for my next pick because I'm rewatching Buffy and it is a delight. I'm, I'm interspersing it with Angel as well. So I haven't rewatched Angel. I only ever watched Angel once. Um, but um, it has been fun to intersperse Buffy and Angel at, at this point because I'm up to season five of, um, of Buffy. It is so comforting. It is, um, you know, like Heston said, it's the kind of thing that you can watch and do something else because you know it well, at least in my case, I know it so well that, um, you know, if I want to scroll mindlessly through Twitter or play a game or something, I can do that um, while watching Buffy. Um, Angel, I have to pay a bit more attention to because I don't remember it as well. And I have, actually have fairly negative opinions of, of memories of Angel because I think it's a show that started off really well, but then went super weird. Um, I'm not up to the super weird stuff yet, I'm in season two of Angel, which is the the um, series that focuses on Dala. I love that, love Dala. And so that's um, really fun. And she's getting up to all sorts of mischief. So I'm enjoying Angel. I may die off with Angel later when it becomes really, really, really weird. But yeah, Buffy and Angel, revisit them, you know, 20 years old and yes, still so fresh. <laughs> I was also going to say too that um, if you're looking for like a more um, contemporary literary adaptation, um, Greta Gerwig's Little Women, The New Little Women, is just sublime. I loved it. Um, I've seen it twice now and I will probably purchase it online to stream um, just because it is so clever. It is, um, I think, the absolute best adaptation. Of Better the than Winona Ryder? Definitely. Um, I think it's one of the smartest adaptations of a book in that what it does with the structure of the book actually makes it have a different focus. So she turns it from like a children's story into more of an adult's story through the way she structures it. Um, she brings in all sorts of discussions about women and money, women and ambition, women and career, women and family, um, in this really, really interesting way that's not out of step with the book. It's all there in the book, but she's brought it out much more than previous adaptations, which tend to focus on the more sentimental side of things. Um, and she incorporates some stuff from Louise May Alcott's diaries as well in a really clever way. Loved it, thought it was brilliant. Everybody in it is just perfect. Um, and it gets Amy right. Amy is the character that people always get um, angry at. I love Amy. Um, because I'm also a bossy person who likes things to go my own way. That's um, a lot. <laughs> and the the film understands Amy and doesn't shy away from where she behaves badly, but also contextualizes it. And Florence Pugh is fantastic as Amy. So watch the New Little Women. Um, I, I think we are running out of, out of time, but I just wanted to bring up one other adaptation uh, that I did see the trailer for. Uh, and I'm wondering whether it's going to be any good. It's one that I have a very strange relationship with because I don't actually like this text, but it haunts me. It keeps coming back every five years or so into my life. Uh, and it's The Secret Garden. So there's oh, a, yes. a new know, one, isn't there? Yeah. yeah, it's a new adaptation coming out and it's got Colin Firth, I think, as, um, as the uncle. Uh, and uh, Julie Walters, I think, is in it, in it as well. 
So it's a really unusual, I mean, I, I never liked the story as a child. I was forced to read it in primary school uh, for school. And then I was forced to read it again in high school. And then I was forced to read it again at university. So it's almost every single stage of my life, I encountered this strange story and I've seen almost every adaptation of it. I have no idea why, um, but I have. And, uh, and right now I'm kind of living a secret garden of my own because my backyard is actually the secret garden, um, but the beginning of the book, not the end. <laughs> it's a complete mess. It's, it's, it was once upon a time a beautiful garden, but it's completely overgrown now. So I'm, I'm walking around thinking, oh my God, I'm now living the secret garden. So it's a story that continually revisits me. And I think as I age, I do understand it a little bit more. I do respond to it a little bit better. I still hate Mary, the main character. Uh, I think that's the part that I... I drives me nuts about the story because she annoys me so much. I like her at the end, but for the first, I don't know, half of the book, I just want to strangle her. So that, that's my resistant to, to that particular story. But uh, I think I'll probably will watch the adaptation as well, just because it's, it's one of those strange stories that continually haunts me. Let's see if the movie's ever open again. Yes. Yeah. Well, we can always stream it on Netflix. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They will open. Yeah, they will open. Yeah. Something to look forward to. Yes. All right, I think we've just about run out of time, so we might wrap things up. That's a lot of recommendations for nice things, a lot of escapism there, so hopefully people will find that useful. So thank you, Kirsten, and thank you, Jimmy, for coming and talking to me in our Zoom arrangement here. Always a pleasure. <laughs> All right, thank you very much for listening. If you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, if you have a chance, that would be great. You can drop us a line at... Um, MQ English on Twitter or at our website from the lighthouse.org. Um, we hope you are keeping safe and well. Please stay inside, please social distance, and please use this opportunity to rest and relax and um, try and consume some nice escapist um, literature, podcasts, television, movies, whatever you find useful for getting away from all of this madness. All right, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.